0: Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. The Challenges and Benefits of Hiring Refugees. Now, we are in a negative unemployment market and there is just not enough workers on the open job market. The solution might be taking a different avenue. There is great value to expanding beyond your scope of the limited talent pool into unfamiliar waters. Consider people who are motivated, engaged, reliable to elevate your company performance. Today's quote, we must find a better way to balance our tradition as a state welcoming of refugees while ensuring the safety and security of our citizens. And that was our friend, Mr. Bruce Rahner, who was the former governor of Illinois. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to help entrepreneurs and hiring managers avoid costly hiring mistakes we do this by identifying a specific problem and providing proven tactical solutions to help your company win the right hire. We share insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Chris Chancy. Chris is the founder and CEO of Amplio Recruiting. Amplio is a staffing agency placing refugees into jobs across the U.S. Chris launched Amplio in 2014 after moving into a refugee community outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and now leads a team that has placed over 5,000 refugees from 40 different countries into full-time employment at over 300 companies. As a social entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and author of the book Refugee Workforce, Articulating the Economic Impact of Refugees in America, Chris believes in leveraging business to create a greater stability for the 70 million displaced people around the globe, which is what makes Chris the perfect expert for today's topic. Chris, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today.
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to jump into this conversation
0: today. Me too. I am too. This is actually kind of an interesting topic because until you and I talked on the phone a few weeks ago, it's not really anything that was on my radar. So thank you for educating me on it. So today we're going to cover... A few things: Why refugees make great hires. We're going to dispel some of the beliefs, and then uh, we're going to provide a how-to guide on how to locate and hire refugees. Sound like a plan today? That sounds great. It's
1: a it's a it's a good distraction from all the political conversations I've been in recently. So
0: I think uh, this is a great uh, a map here for for providing great value. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a big political show type guy. Like, that. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about why hiring refugees is a good pool of talent.
1: Yeah. So kind of like you just said, Rick, a few weeks ago, you, this was not really a topic on your radar. It's kind of the case for me as well. About five years ago, uh, almost six years ago now, my wife and I moved into a refugee community outside of Atlanta, and my expectation was that I would I would find individuals in the community who had gone through some horrific situations and they were living on public assistance and nonprofits could help support them. And in reality, what I found was a lot of people who wanted to work and everybody I met said, can you help me find a job? So I started diving into the research and trying to better understand this community. And uh, and, and what I found was pretty interesting, You know, first of all, that anybody who resettles in the U.S. as a refugee is immediately legal to work. So they have all the documentation that would allow them to be a permanent resident in the U.S.
0: And really? Third, so they don't have thing. to go through any immigration once they get a refugee status?
1: Right. So, you know, refugees are immigrants, but sure. not every immigrant is a refugee. And so, so yeah, when they resettle, you know, they go through an extensive vetting by Homeland Security. The director of the FBI says it's easier to, to join the FBI than it is to become a refugee in the U.S. So it's a very intense vetting process. But once they are given permanent status um, in the U.S., Uh, They're they're legal to work. So that's you know that's first and foremost is a huge benefit to anyone interested in hiring from that community. We run E Verify on everyone we employ, and and, uh, that process is always very
0: smooth. So what is the immigration Uh, status that they're on?
1: Well, they in many cases they will be considered, they will be resettled as a refugee. So that is
0: the immigration status. Okay. um, So there's no, they don't have to go and get an H1B or some other. Really? Wow. No, so they can be resettled on the refugee visa. There's some others as well for individuals who
1: are uh, from Afghanistan or Iraq who fought with the U.S. military, uh, translated for U.S. troops. They can be resettled on an SIV, a special immigrant visa, um, and those individuals are great. They speak English and, and, you know, very disciplined and, and, you know, want to work. So that's probably step one to start off with.
0: So it's legal to work. What are the other benefits of hiring a refugee?
1: Yeah, so some of the other things we saw pretty quickly as we started to place refugees in jobs, one of the ones that was that is is pretty compelling, especially considering what's happening right now in our country, since we started uh, our agency five years ago, we've had 5,000 refugees we've placed into full-time employment. We have yet to have one person walk into our office that has failed a drug test. And I know that sounds crazy, but we've got multiple offices around the country. We're testing everybody, every person before they go on the job site. We've yet to have one failure. And so right now in the U.S., drug test failures at company sites that are reporting their drug tests to, to the Bureau of Labor, Labor and Statistics, they're at the highest they've ever been in the history of the U.S., uh, drug test failures. And, you know, a community that doesn't have any substance abuse uh challenges and, and you know, drug abuse isn't common is a great asset. Some companies are having to pull back on their standards and their testing, which just means that there potentially are individuals who pose a risk to themselves and to other people on the job site. So, so that's a big factor. And then, um, the other things we see high retention. Um, we just, there's such a desire to provide for their family, just a high motivation overall, just dependable employees that we see across the board. So typically in the industry we're in, we see around a 40% industry standard retention. So four out of 10 people will still be at your company after three months of employment. And that's across the industry. Uh, what we see when we're working with the refugee community is, is 80%, eight out of 10 people still working at your company after three months. And we see 70% after one year. So there's a double, double the retention rate within the community, uh, which a lot of companies get really excited about.
0: Now, where do most of the refugees come from?
1: Yeah, so it's going to change according to what's happening in the world and you know, where there's civil unrest and violence and you know, natural disasters and things like that occurring. In the U.S. right now, the, most, the country sending the most refugees to the U.S. The US is from the uh, nation of Congo in Africa. Oh,
0: really? There's a few other African
1: countries, and then Burma from Southeast Asia. And, and uh, in the Middle East, we still have Syrian, Afghanis, and Iraqis who are, who are being resettled.
0: What does a company need to know before they start looking into hiring refugees,
1: yeah. So there's certainly a few that um, are helpful to be aware of. I think certainly being being willing to make some sacrifices on the front end, um, knowing that you'll you'll have a huge gain in the long run to see that kind of retention that you hope to see and engagement from the community. But uh, but yeah, I mean, first off, you've got to consider inclusivity as your company. I mean, what's your company culture like, and is it a place where individuals who did not grow up in this culture or did not speak you know, English as a first language you know, is a place where they can
0: flourish. Which, okay, so that might incur an additional cost of maybe getting somebody who's a translator or trying to hire somebody who speaks pretty good English,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you know, some individuals come with fluency, like I mentioned earlier, individuals who translated for our U.S. troops and things like that. Um, but for the most part, there will be a language curve there. But what we see across the board is individuals who have a job their English increases so rapidly because they're forced to use that on the job and learn new vocabulary. Yeah, certainly a huge factor. And there's a lot of tech, tech tools that are out there now. Um, one company we partner with is called Voxy that makes the language learning process at specific companies based on specific jobs very easy. And so it's a hurdle. It's not a barrier that, that you can't navigate. It's a hurdle can be overcome with some with some communication.
0: Uh, so let's say you're looking at most refugees, where are they coming over with advanced skills? Are they primarily blue collar? How does that usually break out?
1: Yeah. Um, so we do see a percentage of other refugee community resettling in the U.S. that have specific skills and have a background in, in specific areas. The challenge is that Some of them are not able to continue to pursue those occupations based on having to achieve, you know, further education or certificates or licenses in the U.S. So, so there's really a small percentage of individuals that their skill directly transfers into the U.S. market right away. So many of them have to find a new job or kind of start completely over an entry level role and and work their way up in whatever industry that might be in. So we see that kind of all across uh, industries from, you know, medical, uh, healthcare, you know, manufacturing, hospitality, you know, individuals that have incredible degrees kind of starting over at the bottom to, uh,
0: to kind of earn their way up. Do they mind starting at the bottom?
1: Well, I mean, of course, that's a, you know, on an individual level, but, you know, most often what we see is there's a high motivation to work and provide yeah. for the family. And so you got to, got to do what you got to do to, you know, to get rolling. And, you know, you also see just that determination and perseverance that has gotten them to this point. So there's a it's just kind of like at this point, they believe in themselves and they've overcome so much that starting over in a new job is, you know, it's something that they can do and they'll, and they'll continue to push. And we see you know, really high entrepreneurship rates as well from the refugee community, higher than almost double the U.S.-born population when it comes to entrepreneurship. So there's definitely a, a mindset that says, hey, I'm, I'm going to go after this and be highly motivated and, and see where it gets.
0: That's fascinating. Do you have an idea of what the percentage of uh, refugees that come over that actually have advanced skills? Are we looking at what, like maybe ten to twenty percent ish, or?
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably a, a okay. good estimate, somewhere in that that ten to twenty percent range of individuals that have skills that can transfer pretty quickly. One of the skills that we're seeing that percentage increase quite a bit is is software development. So, you know, it's certainly a skill at this point that can be taught and learned anywhere in the world, and in many cases, uh, you know, certainly there's countries. Uh, all over the globe that are doing a lot of work to upskill individuals. And many of these places where refugees are coming from are places where STEM and you know, science and technology was, is much more of a part of their education system than it is in the U.S. So these are individuals who have that capacity and they pick up training pretty quickly uh, either abroad or once they get here and uh, they're able to step into to roles like that.
0: So it's really fairly easy. The only thing is you really have to set your culture up from a perspective of being able to have a, a diversity-based mindset, really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we um, what we saw in, in the process of publishing the book as we connected with companies that we work with, what was really interesting to find is that none of these companies that are really flourishing with by, by tapping into the refugee workforce None of them set out to be a diverse company, but what they did do is set out to have a very inclusive culture and a healthy work environment where everyone can come and bring their whole self to work and contribute to to whatever is happening in the workplace. And and that has created diversity, but that wasn't the end goal. And so I think that's a really important point because if your goal is diversity, you probably are going to take a different path to get there that may be a little bit easier by sprinkling in some people of, uh, you know, different cultural backgrounds here and there. But, yeah, pursuing a healthy culture, it it does require some sacrifice, but I think it's well worth it. And, And the companies that, you know, we study and that we work with would certainly agree with that. So if you're willing to engage there, yeah, there's other things. I mean, transportation is always a factor that has to be overcome for individuals who are somewhat new arrivals to the U.S. But, you know, those are, again, those are hurdles and things that can be overcome in the process of gainful employment.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. All right. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Find out how healing a person's pain points attracts amazing people to your company. Sign up for our Passive Talent Workshops or check out my passive talent webinar at stridesearch.com. Today, our guest is Chris Chansey. Chris is the founder and CEO of Amplio, Amplio Recruiting. Wow, we got a little tongue twister there. And we're talking about hiring refugees. Chris, let's actually break this down. I think uh, a lot of us just don't know. It's funny because you and you and I talked. You kind of educated me a lot on this. I never really thought of. This is being part of a talent pool. So now that we're kind of bringing awareness to our audience and to the entrepreneurs out there, let's teach them how to tap into this. Of course, people can surely reach out to you, and I'll give you a plug at the end. But for areas out of your expertise, where, where do they go? So where do they start first? I
1: think it's important to first just recognize that there's value in the refugee community. And as weird as it is to feel like that's kind of step one. I don't think our politically our you know our government we're not at a place where our country even as a whole recognizes there's value there. They're, these individuals are seen as either a charity case or a terrorist threat, right? They they might be dangerous to our our national security in some way. That they couldn't be further from the truth.
0: And it seems like so, the perception is that they're all like you know using up public funds and welfare and whatever else. Right. And that's and, and, that's not really the case, is it?
1: No, I mean we see you know roughly the U.S. spends around two thousand dollars per person that's resettled in the U.S. And we see that refugees are contributing back more than they took from the u s after 90 days being in the country. So I mean these are this is a group of people that wants to work, so I think that's that's step one. like just recognize there's value here. It's worth some investigation and some effort on your part to create an environment where um, you know this community can come to your company and, and thrive. So I would start there, uh, but I think you know it's easy to get into a little bit more practical specific examples what are things that you do at your company to to, create more of an inclusive environment how do you prepare your company to receive individuals who may not be the same as as your current kind of employee base and and you know how can they come and flourish
0: well first it comes down from the top right from the ceo the ceo's got to be open to it um this is scary territory right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah no that's a good point because i and i think a lot of times there's the potential from the executive level to look at okay well how is this going? What is this going to cost us, right? Like, how is this going to change from the the current kind of program we have to to recruit and retain? Isn't this HR's problem, you know, in a sense? But I think if there's a bigger picture here, not necessarily even talking about the moral impact and social impact, but just purely economics, if we're willing to engage and change a little bit of the way that we currently do things, uh, we can see a big you know, impact from that. We have a a company uh, here in Atlanta; they make all the headlights for Tesla uh that goes on all the Tesla vehicles and they had some pretty strict requirements early on for employees at their company uh you know for example just something as simple as a college degree being a requirement to work at a company uh but as we started sending over the first uh candidates for the positions and they saw these individuals in action and and their ability to learn so quickly you know in a role like a, like a quality assurance role it was uh, enough proof for them to say, "Okay, we got to go in and change some of our standards and requirements because we need these individuals, and uh, we think they can help our company grow." And so that's you know some small changes led to a huge team that they've recruited there now, and and uh, you know it's added a lot of value for the company. So I think we got to be open to making some small changes that can add you know greater benefit in the long run for everyone.
0: You know the the nice part about that is that they actually. Saw the value, or they had to wear with all the wherewithal like, to get out of their own heads and, and see that there is value there.
1: Yeah, that's all certainly right. part
0: of the process.
1: And having a team that's willing to, to do that and take that step is a, is a bold one, but it can pay dividends for sure.
0: All right. So, first thing we have to do is we have to open up the culture, we have to be in the right mindset for it, and get everybody on board, right? I, I would imagine that that might be a challenge with some companies as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I mean, that, that onboarding and kind of training process early on is really crucial. And so, like, from our from our experience, the first two weeks on a job, you know, it's important for anybody you're bringing on your team and just how you engage them in the company culture and the training process. But, you know, specifically with the immigrant community or refugee community, you, you really have to look at your typical processes as they currently are and how those might
0: need to be slightly adjusted. Well, let's talk about that. Going. Let's talk about systems.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was, yeah. So I, I think two of the things that are just kind of easy across the board at any kind of company, any industry. You know, what does that onboarding process look like? I think that work's much more common in our culture now for companies to have something that they do for someone who's you know first day on the job. But whatever that process looks like, if you want to engage a community that didn't grow up in the U.S. and, and maybe have some different cultural backgrounds or even workplace norms. You just need to consider that process needs to be longer, maybe twice as long as whatever it is currently. If it's a, a two-hour process, take four hours. If it's a two-day process, take a few days. But just drag it out a little bit to make sure that they're that people are comfortable, they're able to ask all the questions, and they're really able to adjust to the expectations you have for them.
0: So you really need to spend the time on the onboarding process. It's going to take a lot more time up front. But the payoff that you're looking at is the, at the end of the process, once they get acclimated and, and they start producing.
1: Yeah, they'll, and they'll move pretty quickly, and, you, and, and they'll feel um, that much more invested in through that process. I and mean, there's true care for them as an individual and their ability to contribute to the company. So we suggest, you know, for, for companies to match individuals up with a partner who can kind of ha- help answer their questions. I mean, you know, we, we've had situations that are very simple, but, you know, something as simple as, like, someone not knowing if it was appropriate for them to, to stop work and go to the bathroom. And as crazy as that sounds, you know that there's simple things like that that can make someone feel like they're not uh, welcome or they don't feel comfortable in a new environment. So, you know, just walking through some of those basic things is really important. And we just say often, like, don't leave anything to chance. Over communicate, even when you feel like it's unnecessary. If you if you really dedicated the process. Over communicate on the front end.
0: Okay, so how do we do this in the interview process? Because you've got a language barrier. How do you identify whether or not somebody's going to be a good hire? What do I need to do? What advice do you, would you give me as a company to be able to identify which people are the best people to hire?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question because often resume is not going to really translate. So we we highly suggest. That you have some sort of task or project that someone can put their hands on and actually do something, right? So we we worked with a, a software development company, and um, it was early on in the business, and I remember they just needed someone who could who had some experience with SQL, and which is you know very basic platform, and and so we had a guy who said he taught uh, SQL, um, he was a college professor. Um, pretty young guy and, and um, he seemed pretty capable and so we trusted him and we said to the job interview like I said this was like very early on and he got there and he could answer all their questions and they you know gave him a test on the computer and he sat down he's like oh I've never used a computer before like, how, how have you taught software development but you've never used a computer he's like oh we did it all on chalkboard so i mean it, you know obviously getting hands on as soon as possible and giving them the opportunity to prove themselves and and you know sometimes they'll take away that you know they're not quite there yet and they they need to continue to develop their skill but in many cases you recognize the language barrier they've got it
0: so you almost need to treat everybody as if they are a new grad hire basically are you bringing interpreters into the process to to make sure that the language barrier is not a you can communicate effectively yeah in
1: some cases you could you could do that i mean i think if if you're not going to have an interpreter there, though, you know, day after day for whatever job is being done, that may not that may not be the best thing to do in the interview process, right? If they're not able to communicate with you at that point, even though it will improve over time, that may not be the best, you know, first hire. But you know, we focus in many cases on on finding someone who is fluent early on or close to it, and then other people can follow after them that may not quite be fluent, and they can be that bridge builder and and kind of communicate. And, uh, and recruit from their own community.
0: So you're using that first hire as somebody who can actually communicate effectively and then kind of branching out from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, right. a, that's a really right. practical way to look at it.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Your first hire should be somebody who, can, who you can communicate with and the second hire and third, subsequently, you can trust that person to lead that process.
1: Right. And if, if you've got a strong culture, you'll find that that first person is going to be really excited to share about the job that he has uh, or she has. Sure. And they'll recruit other people from their community, which is a win-win for everybody.
0: All right. Key takeaways. So what would you say would be three things you want our listeners to walk away with?
1: Yeah. So I think we've listened a couple of times just recognizing the value of the refugee community and not just kind of falling into the, the big blanket issues, but recognizing on an individual level, there's a desire to, to contribute and i would say outside of that you know consider ways that your uh, that your company can employ refugees so it could be as simple as just going on google and searching refugee agencies or refugee communities near me and uh you know finding out what's going on in your in your neighborhood and see if there's ways that you can engage with a nonprofit or with the community in general to employ or volunteer or be able to to contribute locally
0: that's a fantastic bit of advice shoot chris we're just about out of time for today's show i want to thank you for your time investment today and welcome you to the higher power radio community now what would be the best way in which members of our community can reach you and you know take a second and plug your book too
1: yeah thanks um yeah so the book just released a couple weeks ago and we hit the number one new release on amazon refugee workforce on amazon uh kindle and and paperback and audible is coming soon and uh and then overall, our website is com. Spell that out for me. That we're working in. Uh, yeah, A-M-P-L-I-O. So it's the Spanish word for ample. Okay. And uh, working in several cities across the country and, and looking to grow into 25 locations by 2025. Would love uh, any ideas or, or support from companies or individuals that want to be a part of that.
0: Well, we're here to support you and help you build. So happy to do that. All right. Well, Chris, thanks so much again for joining us. I want to... Th- I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer Paul Roberts, our producers Andrea Ballin, Shanti Ryle, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We love and welcome your feedback, and after all, this show is for you, so let us know how we can make it better for you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at higher, that's H-I-R-E, power, P-O-W-E-R, radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at, Rick at Stride, search dot com to learn more about our passive talent webinars and workshops. Tune in next week, our guest is going to be Carrie Ransom. Carrie is an entrepreneur here in Orange County, is also the host of Accelerate OC. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.